0: For those of you who don't know me, my name is Leonor Ortega Till. I'm on staff at Scum of the Earth, and I have a confession. I am a holy roller, a full-fledged, full-on holy roller. You might not know it, and you might not know what a holy roller is. For whatever reason in my life, God has chosen to speak to me in really demonstrative ways, be it through his voice or through his Holy Spirit telling me to do weird things. Sometimes this means stand up and raise my hand. Sometimes it means telling me to get on my knees or go give all the money out of my pockets to some stranger. Um, But for whatever reason, God has chosen to talk to me in very direct ways and make me very attuned to the Holy Spirit. Though there's been a lot of growth in my life and Ways that I've been able to use this spirit through me, like praying for people that have demons in them, my life was not always um, this filled with growth and use. For many, many years, my spirituality was very stagnant, like the Dead Sea. Being raised in a charismatic community has a lot of blessings, but it has a lot of curses as well. And for many years, I saw myself as contaminated, as sinful and unable to cure myself. And in honesty, I couldn't cure myself. I couldn't cultivate the change within to break out of a cycle that I was in with God. So I'm going to explain to you the cycle that I experienced for many, 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 many painful years. It looked like this. Step one, I would try to be a good person because I was a Christian, and I believed as a Christian you should be a good person. And then I would fall into sin. That would be step two, fall into some kind of sin. Then I would go to church. It would be Wednesday service, a lock-in, a rally. If you're charismatic, you go to a lot of church. It could be church camp, something like that. Take your pick. It's always the same. And then the next step is in a very, very demonstrative way, you repent. So that means for a charismatic, you can go to the altar. You could sometimes have oil, put in an X on your head. You could um, be prayed for over by certain elders in the church. You could... I don't know, make some kind of covenant promise with God, something like that. Something really demonstrative and big that says, oh, I suck so bad. Please forgive me. Something really big and showy so the whole church knows that you screwed up and you're, you know, you're going to try to be forgiven. Then the next step is, because this is life, you go home from church camp. You get in with the same, well, for me, I get in with the same crowd. I start believing and behaving in the way that I did before this whole demonstrative thing and then the last step is fall into sin again which is actually the first step so you see it's a cycle just goes on and on and on never ending for years and years and years and this is very painful because for me I really love the Lord I love Jesus Christ with all my heart and I wanted to be used by him and I wanted to be growing I wanted it to be a ladder and not a circle but it was a circle So my question was, how do I get out of the cycle? What is the missing link? What is the one thing that's going to take me out of that cycle? Um, And tonight I'm going to share with you the story of Jesus healing the leper. And I'm really excited to do so because while I was studying this and preparing for this, I recognized that a lot of the answers to this question, this cycle, were found in this story. So I find that interesting, and I'm excited to share that with you. So will you please pray with me? Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for loving each of us tonight. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would be glorified. I pray that you would speak to each of us here tonight, Father. Thank you, Lord, for never giving up on us, and thank you for offering instantaneous and complete healing. Amen. Um, If you recall, last week, Mike was talking about Jesus healing people from demon possession. So, The day that we're going to begin studying in Mark 1, 35 through 45, is the day after that. So the day before had been the Sabbath. Jesus had been healing all of the towns sick and all of the towns demon-possessed. So if you can imagine, that had been a very fully, fully chaotic but fully blessed day for Jesus. And he's exhausted. He's been spending all day doing this. We start in verse 35. This is the New Living Translation. It's going to be up here, but also if you have a Bible, read along. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went to an isolated place to pray. We see this a lot in scripture. Um, we see Moses with the burning bush going out into the wilderness. We see Elisha in the cave with a still small voice. Um, most recently, we saw John the Baptist going hippie wild, baptizing people in the wilderness. And now we see Jesus, and he's in the wilderness as well, connecting with God. But this is a little stranger because Jesus is part of the Trinity. He's part of the big three. So why does he need to pray, right? He's in connection with the Father. Isn't it a little weird that prior to the Trinity is off by himself praying? Well, I think there's a few different reasons. Firstly, as the Son, and after this big and busy day of healing, Jesus needed to process with his Father. He still is the Son. Secondly, he still is God's servant. He still needs to Clearly prepare and get clarity, receive clarity from God and from the Holy Spirit as to what to do next. Thirdly, we know that Jesus had, experience, had limited his experience to the experience that we have. Though he was Jesus, he was human. He doesn't fully know what God's going to do unless he spends time with him. That's how we know what God's going to do too. So Jesus is setting an example for the disciples and for us by after a big day getting alone with God, going to the wilderness and seeking the Father for clarity. Um, But the disciples don't get it. And we don't necessarily get it all the time either. I know for me, a clue, when I hear my language and when I hear myself saying, oh, it just feels like God is so far. I don't know where God is. That's a clue that I'm not spending enough time with him. James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. There's something to be said for us drawing near to him first. So... The disciples don't get it. Verse 36 says, Later Simon and the others went to find him. When they find him, everyone says, Everyone is looking for you. Our translations don't do a really good job at this. They say went out to find him. But as I researched, the Greek word meant to hunt him down. So they're on a manhunt. And you can imagine the disciples are super pumped, super excited. The day before was spent healing all these people. And think of it in terms of Christians today. They basically, they don't know the word, but they want to set up a church. They want to do ministry. When something good is happening, we want to create a center of influence. We want to create a place where, hey, everyone likes us here. We can heal people. We are the big 12, right? Um, let's go back to that city where we were and heal the rest of the people and tell the rest of the people because there still are people with needs and people with demons and people with sicknesses. So they're super excited and pumped. But they don't get it because they haven't been spending time alone with God. They're not in one accord. It's, it's like in the book of Acts when it says the word is homothematon. The word is a Greek word, which means all in one accord. When the Holy Spirit would fall upon the church back in the day, every person would receive it. It would knock everybody out, and they'd be in the same mind. Can you imagine a church where everyone was on the same level and in the same vibe? I can't really fathom that. But the reason the disciples couldn't be in the same vibe with Jesus here is because they haven't been spending time with God. They're not tapping in. So Jesus is looking forward. He's spent time with the Father. He knows that God has got his back and that God's going to take care of those people in the other town. I think that's another, another really brief lesson here is that we get freaked out. But wait a minute. Look at the past. Look at all the people I haven't touched. I'm so awesome. I have a ministry. I have people to touch back there. or I have things that I need to get to. And Jesus is saying, go forward. And God is saying, go forward. If we tap into him, we're going to know that he's got our back. We can't do it ourselves, and it doesn't even matter anyway. We can keep going forward. So here's Jesus, and he's setting an example, and he's going forward, and he's receiving direction after his time with God. So verse 38, Jesus replies, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That's why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean, he said. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said. Be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Okay, because we live in a PC society and we value politically correctness, this is a difficult passage to wrap our minds around. It was difficult for me to study as well because in our culture, we try our best to not um, connect a person with his or her ailment. We refer to a person as being paralyzed, as <sighs> bless you, as having cancer, as being blind, as being deaf. We do not see a person as their sickness, as their ailment, because we value the person. But the language here is this person is a leper. They referred to this the ancient Israelites referred to leprosy as the identity of this person. And there's many reasons for that, and we'll go into it. But I think that it's important that we wrap our minds around it because otherwise, contextually, we're not going to fully get the depth of what Jesus did by healing a person who's called a leper and a person who identifies as a leper. Um, And I thought I should explain that because, for me, it's not easy to use this kind of language. But I think there's a reason also that Mark... Remember, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of healings happening. Tons. And he tells this story. This is the one that he chose. You know, it's like one sentence, maybe a few sentences, but it's important enough to him to put in here. So I think that it's important enough for us to think about leprosy. In ancient Israel times, leprosy was not like the skin disease we think of. It it referred to many different skin diseases. There are many physical aspects, such as it was an infectious skin disease. It's highly contagious. It could deaden the nerves so that the person could no longer fill his or her extremities. Um, if you've Googled leprosy, it's, it's really sad. And what happens is, not to, like, depress you even further, but when a person who's a leper goes to sleep, sometimes rats can gnaw on their hands and fingers, and they don't feel it and wake up because they don't feel pain. And the reason they go blind is because our eyes feel uncomfortable when we don't blink or they get dried out or if we look at the sun, it hurts. But if they don't feel pain, they don't blink and they go blind. Their eyes dry out. And because a person with leprosy can't feel pain, they can't tell when damage is being done. Imagine if you didn't know that you were hurting yourself when you ran into something. You could inflict a lot of pain on your body. Also, injury, infection, and eventually decay happens on a a leper's body. Decay on a live body. So there's pretty, really terrible, awful, horrendous physical implications. But the second part of this that is interesting is that in ancient Israel... It was also viewed as a religious issue. The person who was a leper was believed to be religiously unclean. And again, that's hard for us to wrap our minds around. But in Leviticus 13, there are 45 verses on what a priest is to do when they see hints of leprosy am not going to go into the details because it's really gnarly, gnarly and it involves looking at moles and hairs and colorations of the skin. But basically there's 45 verses on what to do with a leper, how to banish them from their community because it was seen as unclean religiously as well as highly contagious. The leper was supposed to look like a leper. They're supposed to mess up their hair and cover their face and yell unclean, unclean so that people won't get near him. It's kind of like, imagine the freak out we have with H1N1. Can you imagine if it was like this kind of disease? Um, The the leper is also supposed to be cleansed certain ways, isolated, and even the things that they touch are supposed to be destroyed in certain ways. And the, the priests have all of that instruction in the 45 verses in Leviticus. Okay, 45 verses in Leviticus, not one talks about how to treat it. And again, it's because they don't see it as treatable. This is, this is God's deal. It's outside of the priest's deal. The priest can proclaim it clean, the leper clean or unclean, but can't treat it or heal it. Verse 40, a man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. This man, referred to as the leper, would have identified with his disease he would have seen himself as unclean. He would have known the consequences. Imagine, he would have had to walk through the crowd, first of all, and then he would have had to stand in front of Jesus, this person that everybody loves. What would have happened, I mean, if they didn't accept him? It's not as if he cared because they would have stoned him to death and that would actually probably be a blessing, right, to a leper? What does he have to lose? Um, And what did he hope to gain? The leper says to Jesus, if you are willing, you can heal me. He doesn't say you can ask God on my behalf because he believes that Jesus can do it. He believes that Jesus is God. And furthermore, if leprosy really is religiously unclean and he's asking Jesus to heal him, then he believes that Jesus can forgive his sins and make him religiously clean as well. So the leper pretty much gets it. He knows that Jesus is God. There's an absolute vulnerability on the side of the leper here. He doesn't know what Jesus is going to do or say. It just so happens that Jesus says he is willing, and he reaches out and touches him. And I love this because this is probably the first time that this leper's touched anybody in a really long time. Jesus risks touching a defiled person and risks becoming defiled himself so that a defiled person can be saved, can be healed. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus risks being defiled so that the defiled can be healed. That's the gospel in a nutshell right there, right? Whenever the compassionate Christ and the yearning sinner meet, there comes instantaneous and complete healing. I think that's what I was missing in my own life in the cycle. Back to my cycle. Um, Instantaneous and complete healing from a willing Jesus. When I was repenting, When I was doing my demonstrative big deal thing, I I was saying, I screwed up again, I'm sorry. But I wasn't saying, Lord, you love me so much, I don't have to sin again. There's something in that gap of accepting the grace that changes us in receiving it, in touching back when he reaches for us. I left myself susceptible for not growing because I felt that I couldn't really receive the grace that I was given. For me, the inability to receive the grace The inability to see myself as clean, as restored, as useful was impossible, and I was unwilling. My identity was like the leper. I thought that I should be cut off. I would go to youth group or church, and I'd get out of the car and wave to my parents, and they'd leave, and I would not go inside the church. I'd go find my other friends because I didn't think that I should be in church. Um, I identified with leprosy in that I didn't allow myself the life that Jesus talks about in John 10.10. He says, I have come so you can have life and life to the fullest. But a person who believes that they're not worthy of grace and a person who believes themselves to be a spiritual leper does not have a good life, does not have a full life. Can a leper have life to the fullest in that context in Israel? No. They can't have a ministry. They can't be part of the community. You know, we read the stories and we see the pictures of all the people on the hill listening to Jesus. A leper can't be there. He can't be hanging out. He can't be receiving Same for me in my own spiritual leprosy. Parts of me were decaying and falling off, and there were obvious clues, and I couldn't see it, and I couldn't feel it, and I was dead to it. I really needed to be as desperate as the leper was. There's something to be said for being desperate. I think that desperate is a gift. I think it's also interesting how the leper could have decided to believe in Jesus and didn't have to go through that crowd and be restored relationally and healed physically. Right? He probably could have gone to heaven just in his heart if he would have believed and said with his mind, you know, I believe. Why did he have to go through the next step? Because it wouldn't have been good enough for him, and it can't be good enough for us. I could have gone through my whole life being like, you know what? I believe in God. It's cool. And go through the cycle my whole life, never really receiving full joy, never having full restored relationships, never being used by God, and that wouldn't be good enough. What needs to be good enough is that when he puts his hand down that I need to touch it that I need to grab it, that I need to be vulnerable, to ask. I know it's scum, because I've been going to scum a long time. <laughs> I know it's scum that we are desperate. I know that we long for this. I know that we do rage against the voices and the insecurities and the prideful us. And I, knew, I know that we long to be physically and relationally restored and healed. And I also have seen the flip side, which is people who have reached out and touched Jesus. One of uh, the points in our mission statement is recognizes a need for our Savior. And tons of us at SCUM are doing this. And that is awesome because when you do that and when you get pumped like that, you create a church like this full of people that can be vulnerable and open enough to seeking out Jesus with you. And that's just like the leper in our story. He got super pumped, super excited, and started to tell everybody about what was going on. Only Jesus of course, being Jesus and being a little different than what we're used to, told this guy not to tell anybody. In verse 43, it says, "'Then Jesus sent him on his way with a stern warning. "'Don't tell anyone about this. "'Instead, go to the priest and let him examine you. "'Take along the offering required in the law of Moses "'for those who have been healed of leprosy. "'This will be a public testimony that you have been cleansed. "'But the man went and spread the word, "'proclaiming to everyone what had happened.' As a result, large large crowds soon surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter town anywhere. He had to stay out in the secluded places, but people from everywhere kept coming to him. All right, there's two reasons for Jesus warning the leper. There's one thing that he told them not to do, and one thing he told them he should do. So let's look at the first thing he told them not to do. He told them not to go tell everybody. I'm sure this leper, former leper at this point, meant no harm in going and telling everybody about what Jesus did for him. It's just a spontaneous act of his gratitude. You know, he's excited, he's pumped, he's got a new life. But there were implications. Jesus wanted so badly to be legit. He, w- he didn't want to look like the sorcerers and religious quacks of those days who drew everybody near them for the wrong motives. Again, I'm going to set this up because we're going to be studying Mark for a while. Keep this in mind. There's a paradox for Jesus here in that He is the willing and compassionate Jesus who wants to teach, preach, and heal to everybody. But he has to be super sensitive to what God is calling him to. There's a a kingdom that he's setting up here. There's a mission. And it's got to be what God wants. He can't just do what he wants. That's why he utilized the power of God. That's why he went alone by himself to be with God and, you know, connect with the Father and see what he wanted him to do. Secondly, what did did Jesus ask the leper to do? He told him to visit a priest and have himself proclaimed clean. Now, this is a big deal because if someone can't walk and suddenly they're healed by Jesus, they walk, right? If they're blind and they can't see, we see them, you know, see. If they can't talk and suddenly they're talking, it's obvious there was a miracle. But what if this previous leper comes into your community and is like, no, it's all right, I'm healed, right? Are they going to believe him? Are they going to accept him? Oh, it's fine, cool. Um, No, <laughs> that's not how things worked back then. So he needed to go through the right channel. Jesus was setting it up so that the Israelites could accept him through the law that they understood. They understood that, no, he has to do this. He has to be proclaimed, cleansed by a priest. And also Jesus is telling him, go make a sacrifice and say thank you. Go to the temple and according to the Levitical laws, say thanks, you know. Well, we don't know if he did say thanks. We don't know if he went to the temple and had himself proclaimed, cleansed by the priest. But we know that he went and spread the word, proclaiming to everyone what had happened. And we know as a result, large crowds suits surrounded Jesus, and he couldn't publicly enter a town anywhere. He had to stay out and in the secluded places. And the people everywhere kept coming. So I find this interesting, too, because, because of this person, this leper's disobedience, Jesus' ministry was affected. I think sometimes our actions and our disobedience come with consequences as well. It's interesting that in the book of Mark, we have seen Jesus have authority over three areas so far. We've seen Jesus have authority over the wild beasts in the wilderness, we've seen Jesus have authority over demons, and now we've seen Jesus have authority over disease. But what does he not have authority over right now? The human heart. In this instance, he does not have authority over this person's human heart. I want to make this really clear. Mike gave me an illusion, and it helps a lot um, in order to see God's will. If there's a train going from New York to L.A., it's going to make it there. Don't worry. If God wants that train to make it there, it will make it there in the time it's supposed to make it there. Nothing you can do is going to affect that. But we're still the people on the train. And we still get to choose into giving Jesus authority over us. So the authority is something that we give Jesus over us. The question becomes, are we going to choose into letting him? Back to my cycle. I just want to say that I do understand God's grace now, and I have received the grace, and every day it's something new. It's not like a one-time deal. I used to believe that you could do a one-time thing and that that would be it. But I've grown to learn that sometimes faith is a lot like marriage in some ways. You wake up and you choose to be married and you act as a married person and then you are married. So I choose and I wake up and I accept the grace every day. And every day I'm needing the grace, so it's okay to receive it again. I think the implications from this passage are pretty simple. But I think they're kind of hard to live out. So I'm going to ask you to do... Three kind of demonstrative things, if you don't mind. If you're willing to do them with me, that'd be cool. If you're not, pray about it. Maybe you'll do them later. Um, the first one is I'm going to give you 15 seconds. I'm going to give you 15 seconds of quietness for you to talk to God, and I want you to set a date with him that you're going to go and hang out with him because I think that we all can benefit from hanging out from Je- with Jesus more. I know some people who are amazingly excellent at it, and I can see the love of Jesus exuding in their lives, and I know I want that. So for the next 15 seconds, just tell God when and where you're going to meet him this week. Secondly, we need to recognize that Jesus wants to keep our bodies, our minds, and our relationships wholly healthy, So we need to ask him to heal and cleanse us and know that he is willing. I'm going to give you 15 more seconds to ask God to heal you instantaneously and completely in an area of your life. And lastly, the most important thing is that when he does heal us and when he does reach out to us, we need to receive that and run towards him. Um, This next one, we're going to take communion now, but this next one, I want you to find somebody tonight to pray with you, a brother and sister in Christ. If you came here and you don't know anybody that you can pray with, there are going to be people in this room to pray with you. But I want you to pray with somebody tonight and tell them what you asked God for and have them pray with you and ask them, to pray for you that you would receive that. As we talk about the disciples, a very important scene is going to come in Mark later, where the disciples that are still unaware of what is yet to come will be eating a Passover meal with Jesus. Jesus is going to say, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and he gave it to them and he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. This sacrifice, this bloodshed and this body broken was for us. So during this time of communion, take it, tell God what you want from him, and when he gives it, I pray that we would be willing to receive.